0: Jesus did not let her shock deter him from his mission. See, what Jesus was doing, as she acknowledges, you have no rope, you have no bucket, how are you going to give me a drink? Well, he had a different rope. He had a different bucket. It was the rope and bucket of the Holy Spirit that he was beginning to drop down into the depths of her soul. Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, And He would have given you living water.
1: Now, here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. As go
0: go. you should find your seats, you can find your way to the Gospel of John, John chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 26 this morning. I titled this message Living Water. Well, we're still in the first year of Jesus's ministry, as John brings us at this portion of scripture, we find that after he cleansed the temple, which we read about in John chapter two, contentions between Jesus and the religious rulers of Israel, they continue to brew until the climax, we know ends in the crucifixion of Jesus. I should say, from their perspective, they thought it would end there, but it didn't because we know he rose again on the third day And it continues on to this day. John clearly shows us throughout his gospel that Jesus did not force an issue with the Jews. At times, he would avoid, and that's what is happening in John chapter 4. Contentions are beginning to brew, as we'll see, between the Pharisees and his disciples. So Jesus leaves the area, and John tells us many times that The hour had not yet come. He was only going to die at the appropriate time that the father had placed for him. It was not going to be a premature death by any other means. So he kind of removed himself from what we would call ground zero, which would be the temple there in Jerusalem. And he headed to the Galilee. We know that he would minister in the Galilee. His home base would be up north of the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum. And he would spend much of his time there. As he makes his way to the Galilee, which would be like saying, and he headed up to Lake County from Chicago. I mean, it's talking about a region that he was going to. The scripture tells us that he purposely traveled through Samaria. And that brings us to the story of the woman at the well. We'll see today, Living Water, versus. 1 through 27, Jesus needed to go through Samaria, verses 1 through 6. Living water we'll read about in verses 7 through 18. I'm going to go ahead and read us through our first point, which is found in verses 1 through 6, and open us up in prayer. John 4, verses 1 through 6, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour." And Father, we pray that you'd open your word to us today, a familiar story to so many of us, Father. Even in familiarity, there could be great truths that can be revealed to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would do that for us today. Also, I know, Lord, when things are familiar, sometimes we neglect the familiar. Perhaps, Lord, you simply want to remind us of these truths today. We ask in the name of Jesus Amen. So it tells us that Jesus needed to go through Samaria, and it was because of a contention that was brewing, as I said, between the Pharisees, the religious rulers, and Jesus and his disciples. And we open up again with a reminder of baptism, which has been talked about practically in all the first four chapters of John's gospel. We're talking about the baptism of repentance but here we find that jesus is also baptizing and though in parentheses in verse 2 it tells us jesus didn't actually physically baptize anyone his disciples were doing the baptisms but this is the baptism of repentance both john the baptist and jesus at the beginning of their ministries they preached the very same message repent the kingdom of god is at hand And baptism that they were doing at that time, the baptism of repentance, spoke about people turning their hearts Godward. They're preparing their hearts to receive from God. It is not the baptism of salvation, and we get a clear distinction of this in Acts chapter 19, verses 3 through 5, where Paul came upon a group of men, 12 of them, who were followers of John the Baptist, and he asked them, realizing that Something was lacking. He said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they had part of the story. I, I just kind of envisioned these 12 guys coming through and hearing John the Baptist preach and were baptized by John and then went on and missed the part of John saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They missed the Jesus announcement. And now the Lord brings Paul along to help finish out the rest of the story. They've been baptized into the baptism of repentance. It'd been years later, and they're still following these truths. Their heart's prepared to receive the Lord and his Messiah. And once Jesus was introduced to them through the Apostle Paul, they were then baptized, it tells us, in the name of the Lord Jesus. But also we find by leaving to go to Galilee, Jesus was putting distance between himself and the religious rulers. He was kind of allowing the contention that was beginning to brew up to settle down a bit. But scripture tells us that he needed to go through Samaria. Now, the customary route for the Jewish people when they're traveling from Judea, from Jerusalem area, up to the Galilee was to cross over to the west side of the Jordan River. It was the longer route, by the way. But to cross over to the west side of the Jordan River and then to travel northward. And then once they safely went out of the area of Samaria, then they would cross back over and then head on into the Galilee and the cities of the Jews up there. So they were avoiding the Samaritans. And they traveled a long way to do this. They went out of their way to do this. But Jesus needed to go through Samaria. In other words, there were people in a village of Sychar that needed to be reached. And Luke nineteen ten reminds us that the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost it was Jesus's mission he knew that there was a woman but by reaching the woman at the well he would also reach a whole city with the gospel so Jesus came to Sychar verses 5 and 6 and he came to the city of Samaria which is called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph now Jacob's well was there Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey. Sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So the Samaritans, they were half-breeds. When the ten northern tribes were conquered by Assyria, they brought in people from five other nations, took away the majority of the Israelis that lived there, and basically re-transplanted them. This was their custom. They would conquer an area, They would try to strip the area away from their customs and their people, bring in a whole new people, bring in different gods, different religions, and thus kind of mesh everything together and destroy the nation itself. Now, the the Babylonians, when they conquered the southern tribe, they had a different custom. They actually allowed the people to continue to worship their gods. They left people in the land to farm it, to till it, to continue on. And so they had an entirely different custom. They didn't strip away the nationality, but they were attempting to strip away the nationality, and they were somewhat successful. The Samaritan people came out of that, where they married those remaining Israelis, and a new race was born. Also, when the Samaritans first came on the scene there, they discovered that God was not pleased with them. He sent lions. I'm glad when we go to Israel now, we don't have to worry about lions, uh, roaming about. They've long since been killed out of that area, but then there were. We know it's part of the Bible story, and God sent lions to kill some of them. So in 2 Kings 17:27, we learn that they sent a word to the king of Assyria saying, send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there. Let him teach them the rituals of God of the land. And so they brought back the Israeli priests. It asked for one. I don't know if they brought more than one. But he taught them how they should worship the God of the land, the God of the Jews. And although the priests taught them to fear the Lord, the Samaritans made the same mistake that Israel, the ten northern tribes, had made. First, they appointed priests for themselves of every class of people. So they got away from the Levitical priesthood. And secondly, they continued to worship and serve other gods. So they were truly messed up in their religion. But this is the Samaritans. And it's one of the reasons why the Jews avoided them. We also learn about the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. This is the second part of what is revealed from the book of Genesis. In Genesis 48 21, and 22, it tells us when Jacob was. Blessing his sons. He said, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you, will bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, he's talking to Joseph, I have given to you one portion above your brothers. And so we don't know from the Old Testament where that one portion was, but from the New Testament we learn it's this area of Jacob's well, and it's where the Samaritans were at the time. But also, there's something else I think is cool. To look at in the blessing Jacob said I'm going to give you one more portion above your brothers which I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and bow he fought for this land Jacob fought for this land and uh, the Bible tells us when Jacob and his twin brother Esau were born that they were very different that Esau was a man's man he went out hunting in the field he was daddy's boy dad loved him greatly But Jacob, it tells us that he was a mild man living and dwelling in tents. And we get this picture of Jacob being soft and Esau being, I'm sure Esau could have licked his brother. It sounds like it could have happened. But we also read that he took this plot of land from the Amorite with my sword and my bow. So he fought for this. He was not a weak man. It's interesting in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament, where it talks about Jacob being a mild man, that word can also mean complete. And I think Jacob became complete when he came into faith with the God of his fathers, Abraham and Isaac, that he had some learning to do, but eventually he came to that place of being a complete man. I think that could be true for each of us as men and women of faith we go through this life, that he can bring us to that place where we're made complete in Christ Jesus. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey. There are those who will teach that Jesus was a good man, that maybe he was a prophet, but not God. And here at Calvary Chapel, we believe and teach that Jesus was both man and God, both human and divine. And John gives us a glimpse in this story of both of Jesus's humanity and his divinity here we see a side of that humanity he was wearied from his journey we'll learn in a minute that his disciples went into town to buy some food Jesus waited by the well because he had an appointment the disciples had no idea what was going on Jesus knew what was going on but I want us to see that Jesus in his humanity Philippians 2, 6 and 7 tells us, being in the form of God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, verse 7, but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And finally, just a quick mention, the sixth hour. If they're talking Jewish time, it means it's 12 noon. If it's Roman time, it's six o'clock at night, just like it would be for us. Noon would kind of fit The story a little better. Even six o'clock could work because by that time it's the evening. People are coming back home. It isn't the time. And that's what I think is significant, is that the woman comes to the well by herself at an unusual time of day. But Jesus continues to reach out to those who need to receive God's gift of salvation. That's why he needed to travel through Samaria. In verses 7 Through 15, I'll get the context for us, but we're going to look at what I titled this section, Living Water. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, asked a drink from me? A Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings, with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, "If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, 'Give me a drink,' you would ask him, and he would have given you living water." And the woman said to him, "Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself?" as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw so we find living water. Jesus, as he's sitting at the well, this woman from Samaria comes out to get water, and Jesus, being weary, he asks her for a drink. Her coming out at this time, at the sixth hour, whether it's noon or six at night, she's coming out by herself. When I was in uh, South Africa in uh, Sudan, every day we saw the children and the women coming to gather water. It was just a daily thing on the compound that we lived on. They had a a pump well there at the time and they allowed the people from the village to come. They had rules. They could only come into the compound one at a time, one family at a time. And so if you'd go outside the compound, which was at the time a brick wall, it's been paved over and painted now, but at the time it was a brick wall, there was, Against that brick wall, it was just lined up with yellow six-gallon cans of uh, what we would see, a gasoline can, but they were yellow for water. And it was just lined up on that wall, people waiting their turn, usually children hanging around. I don't know where the moms were all the time. They were off doing something else, but they would each get their turn to come in for water. I can tell you the truth. I don't remember a guy drawing water. It was always the women. In fact, one time when I stood waiting for water, I was a guy who was going to draw some water because I was doing masonry work and I needed water to make my mortar. And I was waiting for an African woman with her child. And that baby just was crying at me. It didn't like me standing there. Maybe mom was tired of the child crying, but she stopped what she was doing, took my bucket, filled it up, and then gave it back to me. When I'm thinking, I was already told, don't interrupt them. Don't get the water for them. You go against Sudanese custom here. And so I was just doing what I was told normally here in America is, here, let me get that for you. It's reverse over there. And that's the situation, the scene that we're in. The customs were very similar back then as they are to this day in several of these nations. But she was coming alone at an odd time. She was perhaps an outcast, as we'll see later in the story. In 1 Timothy 1, five, it tells us this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Jesus, he goes for the outcast. He goes for the chief of sinners. He brings them to salvation. The woman was shocked that Jesus would even speak to her. And she went on to explain, seeing that the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans, yet Jesus did not let her shock tear him from his mission. See, what Jesus was doing, as she acknowledges, you have no rope, you have no bucket, how are you going to give me a drink? Well, he had a different rope. He had a different bucket. It was the rope and bucket of the Holy Spirit that he was beginning to drop down into the depths of her soul. And Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. We find that her heart was set on physical things here. She saw no rope. She saw no bucket. So she said, how are you going to give me water? But he said, I'll give you living water. It was a different water. He would go on to talk about the gift of God and the gift of God regards the salvation of the soul that God Gives to those who believe in Jesus, the gift of God, as we know in John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The gift of God that tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, that for by grace, you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. But also, he said, living water. And living water is twofold. It has to do with salvation, and it also has to do with the empowering of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. Concerning salvation, and we're going to find that Isaiah spoke of both of these, concerning the living water. But concerning salvation, in Isaiah 12, 3, Isaiah said, Therefore, with joy you shall draw water from the wells of salvation. And then concerning the Holy Spirit in Isaiah 44, 3, I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. And so Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and the living water that I had for you, but she couldn't at this point get her mind off the physical to get to the spiritual. And the woman said, Verse 11, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Well, we know now that that well in 1935 it was measured to be 135 feet deep. And she asked, where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well, drank from it himself as well as his son and his livestock? There was history at this place. And the Samaritans, though they contended with the Israelis, they totally accepted Jacob. He called him our father. He has given us this well. There was history there. It was water that helped people live throughout the ages, but it wasn't living water. We all know that we need water to sustain life, but Jesus is speaking about a different type of water. He talks about living water several times in Here in the Gospel of John, we'll discover it again in chapter 7. Father, I pray that you would give us broken and contrite hearts today. We see in our nation, Lord, the events of this past week have proven once again that our nation is broken. And there is a great need for revival in our nation. Father, I believe the greater need of revival in the true sense of the word revival refers to that of reviving your own people, which speaks of your church. So I pray, Lord, that you would work the spirit of revival in our hearts. May we be willing to come to you in brokenness, with contrite hearts. Lord, that you would pour into our souls a fresh filling of the living water. Lord, if salvation is needed among anyone in this church body today, Lord, let them come to that place of living water that they might be saved. But Father, for the majority of us who know you as Savior, perhaps, Lord, just a a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit is necessary this morning. We ask, Lord, that you'd work in our midst as we wait upon you in worship for one last song. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.